Hello and welcome to the Sacred Space Storytelling Podcast, a place where we will dive deep into epic discussions on birth, motherhood, womanhood, rites of passage, and so much more. We are your hosts, Lucy, a mama of four, a birth keeper, a women's worker, and a past midwife who has left the system in the pursuit of truly being with woman. And Christy, a mama of three, birth and pregnancy advocate, community service worker with a strong interest in the shamanic dimensions of the journey from girlhood into womanhood and beyond. Come with us now as we unravel today's conversation. Okay, hello and welcome to the Sacred Space Storytelling Podcast and Happy New Year. It is now 2024, which I honestly can't quite comprehend. Um, To kick off um, this new year, we have the most incredible guest on our podcast and it's such an honour and such a privilege to be here today speaking with Maha Al Musa. She is a first and foremost a mother to three beautiful children, now 27, 24 and 15. She is a doula, a birth mentor, an international educator and the founder of Embody Birth and Ballet Dance for Birth. Since 1997, she has released two award-winning resources, a world-first book on belly dance for birth entitled Dance of the Womb, endorsed by the amazing Sheila Kissinger, Dr. Michelle O'Dont, Sarah Buckley and NACE Australia and a follow-on video series voted by About.com Readers Choice Award for Best Pregnancy Fitness Product. She was presented with the One World Birth Hero National Award in 2011. Amazing. Maha has been a keynote speaker at many birth conferences worldwide, including the Shandong Midwifery Conference in China, Human Rights in Childbirth Conference in India, and Birth Keepers Summit in the USA. She also offers her online Wise Conscious Birth Preparation Program and her highly acclaimed Embody Birth Teacher Training certi- certi- oh my goodness, this word, Certification, there we go, as well as other powerful resources. All of Maha's teachings are supported by the universal truth that birth is a sacred portal that has the potential to raise human consciousness and that every woman and baby has the freedom to choose and the right to be supported and born into the hands and arms of love. <sighs> Welcome, Maha. Wow, Welcome. thank you. <laughs> thank you. It's that um was amazing. Yeah, lovely to, to have that lovely introduction. Thank you. It's so um refreshing, Maha. I don't know. I just feel so teary talking to you. <laughs> Same. Because it's like I was saying, um, not only because of what is going on in the world and your culture and your heritage and everything that's going on, it's just so obviously so heartbreaking and um, so touching and so awakening. And so obviously that is just an absolute honour that you're Mm -hmm. here with us and you're educating us and just your presence. And um, also I was saying to Lucy, like for us, like we're, in the same generations we're in our 30s we have children and I feel like we are a generation of like we're really stepping into our healing 
And because I know that my healing started when I I had my first child and my birth was very traumatic. And um, that set me on this, this domino effect of like understanding like about myself and, you know, even just, you know, where I was even oppressed within myself and um, just, you know, the pain and, and all of that. And I would reach out to my mom or older women and they hadn't done the work. So how would they hold me and understand mm. me? So I felt very alone. So when I am in the presence of women like you with this strong, bold voice and this, they've done this work and they can move their hips and they talk about birth, it's just like, it's just, it's just healing. It's just this, it's it's, so it healing. heals this mother wound. It heals this, it yeah. just, it's like there's something in it and it brings, it really brings emotion to me and, mm. um, and yeah, like confidence. And I'm like, oh, I want to, mm. want to be like that. <laughs> so welcome. Well, I'm, I'm honoured. Oh, thank you, darling. Well, what you're speaking on before I introduce my background, my cultural roots, but what you're speaking on is a word we talk about in embodied birth, which is reassurance. That's what's lacking today is the reassurance for the younger women that you have everything that you need. The word that is walking in front of each reassurance is fear. And that is what has been built as the narrative around birth. Fear comes before any kind of confidence or reassurance or saying your body knows how to give birth. Any of those inner resources are put at the back burner and then the system has cleverly designed the fear mongering to step forward. And that is what we are absorbing into our womb consciousness. So I come from very strong Palestinian Lebanese roots. My grandmother, my father's mother, was Palestinian. She had nine babies, all born at home in our birthing house in the village of Al-Qubab, the domes in Palestine. Now, I had a very strong connection to her. And what happened with me was my father and my mother, she was Lebanese Christian, my father Palestinian Muslim, met, married, had my brother and I. I was born in 1962. Six months later, they separated and basically my father kidnapped my brother and I from our mum when I was a six-month-old baby and brought me to Australia in 1964 when I was two. And through all of this, I had this memory of my own mother, my natural mother, who I'd been kidnapped from, but also being taken from my paternal grandmother. I had a connection to both of these women. So as I grew up in Australia, in this very white Australia culture, my father married when I was seven. I was in boarding school at four in Ballarat Girls Grammar, so Entwined in my story is abandonment, separation, severance, being taken from a mother, fear, all of those things, abandonment. Um, And so when I was seven, my dad married my Australian stepmother, who was only 15 years older than me, so she was quite young. So my brother and I grew up with an Australian stepmother from this very powerful, strong culture that I had been disconnected from. And so, you know, growing up in Australia in the time of the 60s and 70s, (laughs) there were not many brown-skinned people or kids in my class. I mean, I used to take Arabic bread 
rolls to school with hummus, you know, and throw them in the bin because everybody laughed at me. I'm talking 1969, 1970. So this was the Australia we lived in. Is Ballarat the country? Ballarat's in the country too because I grew up in the country and I can imagine, like, I know the mindset of that. So that would have been full on. And also being a single father, my dad, so we had the nurses used to come to the house and look after us. They used to call them nurses in those days, like like a nanny, nanny nurse, you know. But, yes, Australia was very different to how it is today. So, Mm -hmm. 61. So I've seen the array of change in the culture, but still there's a racism here too. And there is also a non-understanding of other cultures. You have to assimilate into Australian culture. And that's what I tried to do as a child, you know, and I kind of followed the surf culture because I was brown skinned. It looked like a nice tan, you know, so I'd wear all the beads and the hip stuff. I wish I'd kept all of those things totally. actually. In the 70s, I didn't think of it, you know, my totally needs in a jar somewhere, you know. But um, that was kind of what I related to that gave me a platform for being accepted into the Aussie culture. Mm. And then when I was 21, I went back to Jordan as a 21st present from my dad and I stayed with my Palestinian family. And that's the first time that, you know, anyone from our family went back and I was immersed in the women's culture, and I was amazed. Wow. And I've written about it in my book, Dance of the Womb, some of those stories. But I couldn't believe this Palestinian culture that I went back to and the women's circle, the connection of the women, so strong. And I felt we don't have that in the West. You know, the women dancing, the women doing your hair with the henna, beautifying you, loving you, touching your body and telling you how beautiful you are. I was amazed. But somewhere deep inside I felt I knew this. Mm. So I realised growing up in Australian culture was very English culture, very stark. It's like don't show your feelings, don't show your emotions, don't be so loud, don't be so passionate, which for me was the repression of the feminine aspect of being female, of being a woman. It's very much, I feel, that English culture. Be stoic, you know. Totally, yeah. Yeah, by not showing emotion. And Catholicism, the Christianity, there's a sense there that, you know, women's body is owned by somebody else. And that's what amazed me when I went to the Muslim culture, into the women's culture, was that my body was owned by me and the women loved my body. And it was precious. It was like a jewel to be celebrated. Mm. So I loved that. And then I came back to Australia after that experience that really changed me. I say I was like a rosebud that was closed and blossomed in that journey into the Middle East. And, you know, being with the women of my culture and then understanding that I couldn't go back to the Palestinian culture because that had been destroyed. Mm. The village where we came from, Al-Ramli in Lod, was no longer there. We were refugees. My father was a refugee in 48 and we ended up in Jordan is where I went. But go back to my roots on the land, on the soil, the smell, the place that we originate from, I could not go back to that place. And I felt really sad in my body. And then the separation from my mother who I'd been kidnapped from. So all of these losses were part of, making me into the strength of who I am now without realising at the time all of these things had made me strong woman I am today. 
And you, you don't understand that in your teens and 20s and 30s even. And it's having children for me. And that's what changed my life. And I had been told when I was 28 that I had polycystic ovaries, which we didn't know anything about. We didn't really have the resources or the internet to know what really what that was. But I felt deep in down that it was something to do with being a barren woman. There's an emptiness there. There's an inability to receive the seed of life. Like I intuited that there was something to do with that, separation from mother, mother land, mother tongue, the mother within. All of those things that I had, you know, was estranged from. So when I was 28 getting this diagnosis, I started to inquire into my body and start to piece together just intuitively what is going on for me? What is this polycystic ovaries? You know, it's a medical term that you're not releasing eggs, but why am I not releasing eggs? Where is it that I'm closed down to receivership? So I started on this inquiry and at the same time I started to look for my mother in Lebanon. That's where she was from, from Beirut. So I was on this double journey, seeking within and seeking the mother without. And long story short, I had a very small photo of her and on the back it had her registration number in Arabic. And through the Lebanese consulate in Sydney, they traced her. It took five years. It was an amazing story, really incredible. <laughs> yeah. Well. And she was found in Lebanon, in Beirut, in 1995. So I was 33. And she had got pregnant with me at 33. What mm. what um, number child were you? I, I was her second. So my older brother and then me. Oh, so she you were the first-born daughter. Yes, yes. Wow. So, um So I ensued with this search, you know, to try and find her. That was the only key that I had in was this small photo of her. And I used to think, you know, children in Australia are adopted. They can't find their parents. Amazing if I could find her overseas. And she was found. And it was an amazing story. And it's all in my book, Dance of the Womb, because I see the movements of the dance that I teach as the movements of the stories of our life. They're not separate. Like the West will separate the mind from the body and the spirit and the heart. But in our Eastern culture, the mind, the body, the spirit is all connected. Mm. And so these stories are part of my world, my inner world and my outer world. They both dance together. Yeah. And this is the ideal behind my book, Dance of the Womb. Yeah. I need to read this book. Yes, it's a beautiful book, beautiful yeah. book. And uh, I released it in 2008 <clears throat> when I was pregnant with my daughter. Yeah. Yeah, so it's wow. beautiful. I need to get that book. Um, so yeah. did you, like, obviously reconnected with your mum? Yes. So what, what was that like? <laughs> it was amazing. It was amazing. So I had been trying to get pregnant for five years. I'd been with my husband. We separated. He ended up, didn't want to have children anyway, so that was okay. Then the next man I was with, which became my boy's father, um, he was English and we went to England whilst this search for my mum was happening. I even had SBS wanting to do a documentary on it. Wow. Um, they started to interview me, a very well-known uh, documentary filmmaker of the time in the 80s and 90s, Rosalind Gillespie, and they had money from SBS to go on a trip to Lebanon, you know, that we'd go searching, you know, those um, yeah, yeah, documentaries, yeah. you know. Yeah, yeah. 
So I was being interviewed by her. I had the Lebanese consulate looking for her. I'm trying to get pregnant with my partner. All of these things were converging. And we know 32, 33, the end of Saturn return, when all of these things are revealed to us, was like the pinnacle time for me or one of the pinnacle chapters in my life. And we ended up, she was found, and my brother and I, to cut a long story short, went to Lebanon to meet her. So that was 95. I was 32, my 33rd year. And it was incredible. It was incredible. And she told, my mum had been an air hostess with Kuwait Airways, and my father had started Kuwait Airways in the 50s with the king of Kuwait. Oh, my gosh. Yes, put together the first fleet of airlines at the time. And Kuwait Airways exists now today. Mm. I was born in Kuwait. Mm. Um, So meeting my mum, you can imagine after 33 years, she didn't know where we were, where we had gone, nothing until she was found. So that was extraordinary. Yeah. What was that? Did you ask what it was like? Obviously you did. Like she was telling the story. Yeah. It was a very big wound to open. Oh, I, you know, I can, yeah. Yeah. I can't, I, yeah. Can't imagine that. And, you know, I hadn't had children when I met my mum. And so, you know, my perception of everything was kind of more personalised. Mm. And after having children, it was not just personalised, but from the mother lens, mm. how could a woman lose her children six months and two and a half and not know where they are? I mean, it's one thing to give children up for adoption, which is awful for many women. Yeah. They're forced to do that. But to actually have your children taken, mm. I found that to be very, you know, deep, so much deep grief around that for me yeah. when I well, realised. Well, it would be just like a death, really, like yes. raising death. Yes. I get it would be very similar. Very similar. So what was strange for her was that, here, her two adult children, 33 and my brother, 35, arriving in Lebanon to say, hello, mum. And she told everyone she'd never had children because it was so devastating for her. Mm. She had to bury the story. Mm. And her mother, who hadn't liked my dad, had told her, you don't tell anyone about the story. So for her to suddenly open that door was huge in her own life to say, you know, these are my two children. Of course, the immediate family knew, but it was the others around her in her neighbourhood and, you know, people in the village who um, didn't know her story. Yeah. But it was an incredible meeting. It was an incredible meeting and it was as though energetically something closed for me that opened a new door. And six months after meeting my mum, I got pregnant with my first son. Of course. I was in England. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, being told I will never, ever get pregnant naturally. So, you know, if anyone ever tells me never, ever, I go the other way. (laughs) Yeah. What I do. I say, no, I don't accept never, ever. So. um, It makes so much sense though, doesn't it? Like, because like we look at these like, um you know, these medical conditions and it's, yes. like, I find that, that it's so medieval, like it's so outdated because it's so, there's such an underlying emotional, um, like, context. like, yeah, like a, there's a, there's a, like that deeper. Well, it's that disconnect like again, di- isn't it? Yeah. And, um, there's a, there's there always, it's like that deep, that root, that root cause of that's just a symptom. And mm. I always look at everything like that now. It's like, that's just, 
a symptom usually to something like emotional I find because I I know that for me like a lot of my stuff is in my womb which I was going to ask you about after um we chat but yeah so hearing that it's like I'm when people tell me stories like that I'm like of course that happened because like you, mm. it's like something's healed or open and the lights come in so now it's like yeah step forward which is the feminine aspect that when we pathologize the body and we put the body the female body or anyone's body but it's particularly for us as females in the birthing arena we place that into a hierarchy and I talk about that someone at the top and somebody at the bottom usually the mother and you know we are looking up to someone else's power we don't find that power within ourselves and that's why we never use the word empower in embodied birth. I don't empower anybody. Mm. I inspire you to find the power that lives inside of you, but yeah. I don't give you power. And this is the idea that we have the Western mind, the colonised mind in many ways for us as people of colour, is that the expert is on the outside. Yeah. So what we are saying and speaking of is as a foundation, the ownership of your life's journey, in this case the birthing journey, is owned by you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we also say in embodied birth, the mystery is my story. So what does the mystery of life want to reveal to me? Not when I look at my body as a pathology, which is interesting. Oh, that's interesting. That's a curious thing that I have what's termed polycystic ovaries, for example. Oh, I'll research that. I'll look into that. I like to do that myself. Then, okay, what is the balance to that? When I don't pathologize, when I take that off the table and I bring in the psyche, I bring in the spirituality, I bring in the emotion, what is it revealing to me in that mystery, in the mm. not knowing? This is what we leave out of childbirth education. That's why I love the Embodied Birth Program because it is about asking what is in the hidden shadows that I need to open to receive. Because if mm. I'm in resistance physically in my body, I'm in constriction, then I can't emotionally receive and open to mm. heal. And that's what the womb asks of us, heal through that pathway of the psyche, the emotionality of who we are as women. We operate differently and that's not what we see in the system. Or in the colonized or even in society, isn't it? Because it's so That's fast. Right. It's nine to five, achieve, mm, go, yes. bang. And it's like um, just recently, actually, I've let go of my uni study and degree because it was like I was so because I got three kids, but I was so bang, 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 and it was I felt like it was sucking my spirit. My womb was aching, and you know, it's ever since that I've let that go. I feel like my psychic abilities and my yes um femininity like I'm definitely in a bit of an in-between where I'm letting go of you know just the stories and like even just the conditioning around I've like uh, like what success is and and all the rest of it but mm. I'm just like that's why I'm so teary all the time because I'm feeling so deeply at the moment and I can mm. feel all of this stuff that I've almost just myself blocked out because mm. that's how I've, I, that's, I watched all the women in my family do that and slog themselves all their life. And the disconnect and, and the, yeah. like, we need that affirmation from that outside source that what, you know, 
that we're worthy or that something's happening in our body. But um, like I let, I am a, I was a registered midwife and I let my registration go a few years ago on a similar kind of um, prompted by a similar sort of feeling that Christy's had with her degree um, in that it just felt soul sucking and I wasn't listening to my womb and my intuition. But I also think so many women are walking around disconnected as you said at the start like we're not listening to our instincts our intuition our womb spaces we're in our heads and then we go into birth completely severed and we just and we can't lean in and we can't hear like what our intuition is telling us what our inner wisdom is telling us how we how we need to birth what's right for us we just we don't or if we do hear it we choose not to listen because we're so hyper intellectualized um and I think for, I have been watching women for, so I was a midwife for 10 years and before that a doula and I've had four babies and um, it was only with my own last baby that I felt like I fully embodied birth um, and it was this big like, and I was 33, <laughs> um, this big awakening. But what I realised was it was, we don't have, as you said earlier, that affirmation from older women, like showing us the way, loving us, helping us be in our bodies, helping us listen, like, and showing us the way. So it's sort of these like, like almost like little girls, I think, like very disconnected, very scared, don't know how to be in our bodies. So we go to our heads and then we, we outsource in birth, especially and in motherhood, I feel. Um, we go to the expert, don't we? So, yeah, I'd just love to hear your thoughts on this and how how women who, you know, are in motherhood, who have finished having babies or are about to have babies, like how can we lean more into this um, and be more in tune with our instincts, intuition, womb spaces, be in our bodies? Because it's that to me is the key to really changing everything. Culture has changed. The culture has changed. I mean, I look at my daughter who's 15. She's on the screen. Everything is filtered through the screen. The screen yeah. is up here, intellectual. Even if you're watching somebody dance, you're still watching it. Mm. You're not embodying it. It's like when they're playing the games, you know, they're running through tunnels and doing all that, but it's the mind that's running through the tunnels. It's not the somatic body. It's not coming down into the body and getting out there and running through the fields and the grass and feeling it through the body. And this is what's happened, unfortunately, in birth education as well. And even for me, with you know, being in body birth, belly dance birth founder, I was resisting how do I put this embodied practice online into a program because people were asking me for it because the way that I learned about birth when I had my first baby, I learned about birth from my mother's mother's womb. That's another story. That's where we mm -hmm. our preparation begins. But when I got pregnant with my son, I was in Byron Bay. In Byron Bay, we had a beautiful pregnancy support group. Every single week, between 40 and 50 women and partners would come to that group. And 12 to 15 home birth midwives would come to that group. And we would sit together. And we would talk face to face and we would feel and our hearts would open and our minds would open and we would do 
prenatal yoga and then I started to teach belly dance birth. So we were heart to heart, face to face, psyche to psyche, Mm -hmm. feeling each other in this. And that is how it was. And we never thought anything of that. We just thought that was normal because it is the normal path in many ways of how to learn about birth. By learning from the elders, the grandmothers would come and sit in the circle. Yeah. The elder midwives would come. You know, we would go and we would interview a midwife as a pregnant mum. Mm-hmm. We would interview the home birth midwife and ask her, what can you offer me? It's what not experience? like that anymore. No. And, and we would be in the central position with our baby. And then you'd go to another midwife and say, what do you offer me? another one what do you offer me and then you would sit with your partner or yourself and weigh it up and decide who do you feel the most resonance with in the body (laughs) in my body who do I feel the most comfortable with I am about to walk on the edge of life and death on the precipice between the dark and the light I want someone to walk with me I'm getting goosebumps so I want to know who are you? And I say this in Embodied Birth when I, when I travel internationally and I teach midwives and obstetricians and doctors who all wear their label, I'm a doctor, I'm an obstetrician, I'm a doula, I'm this. I, mm. and, and then I say, take off your label. Now who are you? That's who I want to know. Yes, mm. your credentials are fantastic. You know, in case of emergency, that can happen. We're not denying that. Yet I want to know the other side of it. I want the balance of who you are. And half the time they don't know who they are outside of that label within the birthing environment. So I like to point the finger and and ask that question. And that's what women need to know. And we had those opportunities in the 90s. And I would go with traditional midwives in Byron Bay and I would go to home births. This is before the doula phrase happened. And I would just see myself as a sister. I would be chosen by a woman. And that was a great honour and humbling to be chosen, to be with her at her birth, to be her sisterly support, her heart support, her emotional support, to be with her, with with women, as we know, Mm -hmm. midwife, you know, obstetrician, to obstruct, to stand in front of. No, We stand as equals side by side in this rite of passage. That is the most incredible journey that you take as a woman. When you walk the physiological mammalian path wherever possible, this will change you. This will change the voice of women in the world. This is what will repair and heal the world's consciousness, which is the deeper side of my work in embodied birth. And when we talk about free birth, this is something else that I have a little bit of a jar with because for me, free birth isn't a particular type of birth Mm. in my eyes. Every woman should be free to have the freedom to birth in any way she chooses. Mm. I if I have a free birth, but my sister is has birth trauma because of the imposition put on her, then she's not free. So my free birth isn't free. That's how I see it, that maternal feminism. All women need to be free to birth the way they choose, with whom and where and how. That is what the work in embodied birth for me has always been about. That is free birth in my eyes. Wow. That that is free birth. So 
And that is what we did in Byron Bay. We were in allowance of another woman's journey. It's not for me to interfere in her path, in her mystery, in her my story. Who am I to think that I can intervene in your mystery, in the path of freedom that you need to walk, however that looks, for you to liberate your family, your lineage, your maternal line, to alchemize that, to celebrate that, to, to do whatever is needed as you birth this new soul into the world. So the consciousness of the world, the imprint, has a direct effect on the way women are birthing. And most women are robbed of the experience. Yeah. I have now 30 teachers in Vietnam. My program, Embodied Birth, is the first childbirth education program ever in Vietnam. I was watching the videos, actually. Yes, and and the women have just taken it and run with it or danced with it. Mm. They're having incredible home births, hospital births, water births. They had the very first hospital birth in Vietnam from an embodied birth teacher, a lotus water birth. They'd never had one in a hospital. And now other embodied birth mums have been having births in this hospital as well as at home. So don't ever undermine what one person with the belief in your vision and your strength can do in the world. Never think you're small. You yeah. have a voice. Use it. It's and a it's deep like, remembering. It's like the holding. It? Sorry. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I was just going to say, like, this, that feeling of, like, that power and that embodiment, it's always in, in you. It's always been in you. But it's like it's just remembering that deep remembering of this information of that reconnecting that severed wherever you've been severed it's just connecting back in and um I think when a woman feels embodied in her body you know you know connected to her intuition then everyone else it ripples out doesn't it to everyone else in her field and that's the power it's like she steps up into the light and then somehow like these amazing births can happen because she's leading the way as opposed to outsourcing that. Um, yeah, it's just incredible. She's not only leading the way, the baby is leading the way. And the with baby. Mm-hmm. So we talk about embodied birth, the psychic highway that runs between the mother and baby. And this is where the interference on the outside will intrude on that psychic highway. So when we talk about intuition, that's what I believe it is between the baby and the mother. So Mm -hmm. when I bring the dance element into the preparation for birthing, yes, there's all of the, you know, it's a wonderful preparation, a physical preparation, bringing the, you know, the the blood and the oxygen to the womb and the connection with the baby, all of those beautiful things bringing you home to your knowing. But what also happens energetically is when we do these beautiful belly dance birth movements or Middle Eastern dance movements, meditative movements, we create expansion in the body. Mm-hmm. And this is really important because when the womb energy expands, the consciousness of the womb expands, it gives baby space as well for their journey, but also it activates the wisdom of the womb and then we can access the language of the womb. This vocabulary is what we are listening for. So it is not only a physical tool to prepare it's also a psychic 
preparation. And mm -hmm. as we expand and we grow, why do we get those nine months to grow? We're not meant to contract and constrict. We're meant to open to our fear, open to our joy, open to our not knowing, open to our physical ailments, open to everything that needs to be revealed through the layers of the womb. And that is what the dance gives us that opportunity to open, to listen. So when we speak about intellectually the intuition and the instincts, we speak about it intellectually, but when we come into the body through these mindful movements, we are feeling it. We are listening through the feeling pathway. And we say in body birth that you don't birth, you can't think birth, sorry, you can't think your baby out. You must feel your baby out. Get down to earth. The baby doesn't come out of your head. The baby <laughs> comes out of your vagina. Get down to earth. Get down to earth to birth to listen and move that body instinctively, intuitively to awaken the wisdom. The wisdom doesn't awaken through the mind. Yeah. The wisdom awakes somatically. And that's why my program has been so successful, more so in the East than in the West, because there's still a connection. They're still rooted to that ancestral wisdom. They know that when I speak, I'm speaking something old wisdom mm. that hasn't been completely taken yet. And this is why I'm trying to get more to the Western women. And this has been in my culture. The dance and the connection of the women and the body has always been in Middle Eastern culture as a natural connection to the feminine, wise woman wisdom. Yeah. That's what I'm teaching and have I, taught for nearly 30 years. Yeah. And I find dancing, yeah. and, and, and dancing like naturally, like I think when I very first started my embodiment um, healing or connection to self, um, everything you are saying, it's just so, oh, I don't know, it, it just feels like home to me. It's like mm -hmm. I remember I started using yoni eggs. Mm -hmm. I had no idea about any of it, but I was just on all these different paths and even just feeling around there because, you know, I grew up in the country completely disconnected um, from all my emotions, from my body completely in every single way to the point where, you know, I went on a, um, you know, a path of complete destruction of drugs and alcohol because, there's so much suppressed and then we're confused and then, you know, then there's, you know, men and sex and all these things. And it's just like, you know, I, I hold so much compassion for my younger self now. Cause I'm just like, Oh, like it really wasn't my fault at all. And then, you know, you've been talking about other women and um, it's, it's also like you want someone that can hold space for you. It's like what I said about my mum, like how, how can she possibly hold space for me or could have hold space for me when she can't, hasn't been able to hold space for herself or nobody's held space for her either. So, you know, I first, I did Jane Hardwick Collins Four Seasons and um, I remember sitting in the circle and there was women like, to be honest, it was the women in the 60s that actually captivated me the most because they were full of life. And they were just, you know, like didn't care. And so, and I was looking at them as, as a mother energy, like, what is this? And being held like in circle 
by other women and being seen in my vulnerability and I've never ever I will always remember that feeling of just and being loved and held and hugged I remember everyone coming around me at one point and like humming and singing and I was just I even getting emotional thinking about it now and you know my last baby blessing with my third baby that I had at home actually Lucy was there um I was just having women around me um that's when I got it I understood it because I've never ever felt like that before Mm. um Mm. except from other women now and just even at my birth I had Lucy I had my friend Amy and I had my friend Olive um just you know I birthed on my own I birthed my own baby but I felt them around me um and yeah so just to be held I I know that feeling now of other women and that love and being touched Mm. and my hair being Mm. played with and um like the sisterhood has is has been the most healing element of Mm. my journey we crave it we crave it don't we I my like uh, when I did my doula training when I was 19 um it was really the best place that I landed in because I was so lost and it was we just sat in circle that was my doula training um that I did in Victoria um with some amazing birth workers and it wasn't so much learning the content it was like learning to be with other women to share stories um to yeah just feel held and I was and it was the first moment where I was like wow I really crave this um and I've continued to crave it it's having having the love of other women and having the wisdom passed down someone that you can look to and and learn from and um instead of just where there's a lot of maiden energy these days where a lot of just we're stuck in our maidenhood it's idolized and then we become mothers you can't quite run away from motherhood you can't you know and then you get older and older and it's like we're not leaning in and loving being a woman because we don't know how to because it's not being um, modeled to us is it and when women like Jane Hardwick Collins and you and I look to these like these strong amazing women like oh like I get I literally get goosebumps and I'm and I a sigh of relief because I'm like this is what I've been craving someone to look up to someone to show me the way so like I'm excited to grow older I'm so excited like I I love that I'm not a maiden anymore you know like I love that I'm a mother um I can't wait to just grow in wisdom and have like long gray hair one day it's that I can then then I can hold other women I like it's such an honor to grow older and um yeah like we're so passionate about that aspect at the moment like it's been coming up for Christy and I in our own personal lives and women and friends in our own community this gap and Mm. then women feeling a bit lost, a bit out of their bodies, in their births, in their mothering journey, because their mothers are also disembodied. Um, and we're like, this is the work where we want to try and bring some healing here. Um, just through storytelling, just mm. through, I know like it's so much better to sit in real life circle, but it's also pretty amazing that we have technology these days and we can virtually hang out with you on your couch and listen to you um and gift that to our community so 
yeah, it's like, I think we're all craving that. Mm. Um, and when you describe those women coming around you and loving on you, it's just, I think we all well, like also the, like that. Your, one of your, one of your um, posts, uh-huh, which I like <laughs> loved was about a psychedelic trip. And you were like, who would you take on the psychedelic trip? And I'm like, that is so That's so your birth true. your birth team. Yeah. Because you are like for me personally, I was you know, I've had a very um medical traumatized birth. And then my th- my second was a little in between. And then my third was like, I mean, everything that we speak of, I I embodied it. And um and oh god i hate when i do this i always lose my train of thought what was i saying post the the psychedelic post yeah because i felt like i knew when i was about to go into because i was so tapped in but i did i did the work um i you know i consciously chose to take that path and i you know i'd i'd done the i don't know i just i i started the healing path so I'd really leaned in. So I knew when I was going to go, I even knew when labor was about to start because I did go on a psychedelic trip. I was like, whoa, what's this? And I was by myself. I think I was facing a wall for about, I mean, seven hours or something just the day before I went into birth and my partner just kept walking past like scared out of his mind. (laughs) Like, what is, what are you doing? And I'm like, just keep walking. I don't know. I'm just... I was in, I was in another realm. I was preparing and I, and I knew that. And so it, it's such a cosmic, cosmic like you're so, you just, you're not, it's, I, I don't know. The, I, that's why I love you because you've got words to describe this. I don't know how to describe it. <laughs> well, you're talking about ecstasy, ecstasis, out of the normal. Yeah. That's yeah. what ecstatic means. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. So you're outside of the normal states. Yes. Yes. And that's so why you need the, you know, then people like, as you were saying, like how you were like with the traditional midwives and, and all that, like you need people that know how to hold space. Cause there's it, like in everyday life, most people don't know how to hold space because it's uncomfortable. Like there's certain, like even, even with our kids, like their emotions can become mm. so big that it's like uncomfortable. Like I don't know how to hold that because it's so big when, if we can sit there and hold that strong space for that process to like run its course. That's right. And that is, that is what I, when I teach birth keepers, it's about the self-regulation. It's not mm-hmm. making somebody else's response yours. Yes. So having self-regulation is very, very important. And that's why when I teach birth professionals, we do work around the body about the breath, about the movement, about tuning in. Because I always say in body birth, how can you hold space for a woman? How can you be there as an anchor for her if you don't know how to navigate your own feminine in the world? And you're out of your body. You can't say to a woman, I've got a classic um, piece in my body birth training, which is in Japan. I'm teaching the, the Tokyo midwives. And wow. I've got a midwife and I'm saying to her, how can you be telling another woman, relax into your body. Yes, move. You are doing well when you're uptight and frozen in yours Mm -hmm. because birth is also about osmosis. And and when you step into a hospital, some women who are pregnant and birthing step into a hospital and their body relaxes. Other women step into a hospital and their body tenses. Yeah, 
So also as a birth keeper or as a birth care provider or a midwife or whatever, how are you living inside of your body? And worse and worse now in the system is the tension, is the impatience, is the fast paced. All are the antithesis of what a mother needs for birth. But some women operate in that. Some women feel comfortable in that. So we have to find within ourselves what is it that really allows me to relax and what kind of person do I need to be with me that can help me to come into that state if I get out of the state of being self-regulated. Because we're going to go through the rivers and valleys of time and effort and all kinds of things within the birth. So we... Some women might need that kind of person who can regulate them, bring them back to the breath, to the body, to the awareness. Mm. That's why it's very personal. When you step into the hospital, you don't know what midwife am I going to get? Who is this person? Who's supporting me here? Is this good for me? And oftentimes it's not because there's like how much work it's like how you were saying about interviewing midwives it's like yes because what I do now like I mean I don't really see like unless it's like an emergency I won't even go near a hospital like I did like nursing I I get it it's like but um I often like if I do have to go to the doctor or anything I'm always like how much work have you done on yourself though like what what like because it's like we were talking about like you can pathologize everything and there's just that you know that that symptom there and we'll put that band-aid there but it's like it's it's actually interesting because my, my son has asthma and I went to it was this is super refreshing story but I my I, I went to a doctor because I needed to go um he had like you know some potato on him and he had asthma and I finally went there and I had really, really bad anxiety because I've had really intense um, experiences with the hospital and just, you know, I have trauma. And mm. um, so I was very anxious and I just had this thing, oh, they're going to take my child off me or whatever. I don't know. I think that that's an ancestral thing, to be honest. And um, I took the bandages off and I said, he's had this and he's had this for ages because I treat things, mostly things naturally. And I said, but I feel like, you know, I, I would like an opinion now because um, my partner was sort of putting it on me a bit. And he looked at me and said, um, have you, are you worried about that? And I said, not really. Like I've got some tea tree at home. I think it's okay. And he's like, well, if you look at that and in, in like in Patego, it's like a, it's angry and it's red. And look at that. He's like, is that happening at the moment at home? Like, how is your relationship with your partner? And we were going through an intense period. And he's like, your children um, are like beacons to your, like, your relationship and your life and everything. So, I mean, you can you can use the tea tree that will get rid of it, but you do need to look at the root cause. You, you know, maybe you and your partner need to do some work on yourselves. And I was gobsmacked I just did not think that that was going to come out of his mouth because he was just this old white doctor that you just think it's like you know whatever he doesn't care but that came out of his mouth and he's like and I suggest that you look at some ancestral patterns with his asthma and I was like whoa the age of Aquarius is here (laughs) like it was just really refreshing and it brought me my partner closer because we were like okay, I think 
it's it just opened me up a little and I was like that root cause like what we've sort of been what we've been touching on it's not just that like there's the symptoms that come out and Mm. all these things that come out but then what is that emotional root cause and what is it um, attached to is it the relationship is it something that you haven't addressed within yourself which can like I mean you can relate this to birth and everything because that all that can come out in birth and motherhood and all of it Mm. and um it's just oh there's just the more you know the more you don't know sometimes I remember learning um from the traditional home birth midwives many long years ago you know 27 years ago that bleeding after birth profuse bleeding is because there's um conflict within the relationship between Mm. mum and dad and it's it's been like eight out of ten births there's something going on there, yeah. you know, or retain placenta, can't yes. let go completely, mm. something in the partnership, the relationship. And it's so oh, interesting. And it, totally. we've lost a lot of this wisdom too, you know, yes. we're losing this wisdom so we're trying to keep that alive. To go deeper, as you say, look for the root causes. It doesn't always mean that it's always an emotional no, aspect, no, but no. I'm talking about the balance, like the label and then take off the label. So let's get more of a balanced foundation. And the other thing I often say too is that doctors and, you know, medical practitioners really dislike these nine words that mothers say or if you say these words, which are I know what I am doing as a mother. Nine (laughs) words that put a lot of fear into the medical practitioners because it's like you know what you're doing how could you possibly know what you're doing mm. i'm the all-knowing it's the ego one. trap isn't it yeah, it just like yeah. stings the ego yeah. and you know for four years i stood up in the worldwide media breastfeeding my daughter just going oh, into that yes. story i wanted to ask you about that yeah from 2012 to 2016 she was three to seven that age group i breastfed her eight and a half years or as i say breast nurtured until I was 54 and a half a year post-menopause. And, you know, this is when the woman's body is relaxed and when you are living in your knowing, your body works. But when you are in that fear and you're defaulting that expertise to the outside, that's what can cause a lot of that constriction and the opposite of the flow. So I stood up, naturally speaking, for the voice of those who want to breastfeed, for God's sake, what's the most natural thing to do if you can do it? It wasn't against anyone who couldn't do it. It was just saying that there are some of us who are able to and willing and want to and our children want to continue to breastfeed into older age, natural term breastfeeding. Well, the backlash Online. I remember reading this. I remember reading a lot about you, actually. Yes. Like, wow. Unbelievable. You would think I was smacking her 10 times a day. <laughs> I read really, comments. <laughs> the commentary and the oh. media and, yeah. you know, the carry-on. But I was very proud to be the second woman in the world to stand up for public and older children breast nurturing, breastfeeding through yeah. all the media. And, you know, I leave that legacy because that's part of my voice to Mm -hmm. say, just do what you need to do. Don't worry Mm -hmm. about what others are doing. This is your life, your child, your lineage. 
your gift to the world, your consciousness raising. And this is what we need. We need more fearless women's voices. Yep. So many women are so frightened to speak up. And I come from a very strong culture. <laughs> My Palestinian Lebanese roots, we are strong women. Mm -hmm. Even though we've been made to look like we're not, we're weak and we walk 10 paces behind a man and we don't have our own voice and our own thoughts and mind and ways of living in the world, but these cultures, like mine, have been colonised by this Western mind yeah. that wants to have power over you. And I refuse that now. And now that I am seven, eight years postmenopausal, I'm standing in my grandmother energy. Mm -hmm. I am fighting for the kids. I'm advocating for not only my children's children, but all children's children. And that's why with this whole Palestinian story that's happening, shocking, what's been going on the last 100 days mm. of genocide, yes, ethnic cleansing. And I stand for all children, Israeli, Jewish, Palestinian, Australian, American, Japanese, Spanish, African. And I say, my child is your child. Your yeah. child is my child. All of our children are our vision for the future, our unity for humanity. And this is how we need to birth. We need to birth through these pathways so we are not weakened in the postnatal time. We yeah. are standing in our strength and we are saying yes or no or I don't know. But we're not cowering down in our fear. We must become fearless. The world needs women's voices and the maternal voice. Desperately. It's so, Desperately. It's so refreshing because I feel like it, it can really activate in um, pregnancy and birth because I've always had a very strong voice and a strong energy and I come from strong women, but then there's also a lot of trauma there as well and suppression and being called out um confrontation and like um just personal attacks that I has has shut me up really <laughs> that I've been like oh, no no but you know the older I get and then to be honest like after my birth is when I was activated and I'm like now I triggered the fuck out of everybody with a lot of my choices but something I had because I'd had felt that love from other women something something happened to me where I was just like fuck you like this is my life this is my direction um even now like I mean my baby's not even two and I still breastfeed and that seems to trigger some of my family <laughs> which Believe I just think what what do you mean but um yeah, the, the more, and even just Lucy and I with the sacred space and um, creating that, it's been such a journey just to be seen and to use our voice and like, yeah. thank God we've had each other, by the way, because this is, again, it's like the sisterhood, but we've gone like, we've traversed some heavy terrain together of just, you know, being seen and using our voices. Hey, and it's, mm. it's, it's, you know, been so like, like terrifying but also like completely liberating and we're getting better and better and better at it like it's just starting to happen organically and you're our first like really like <laughs> I, I'm just gonna like big people 
Like we were shitting ourselves before this. Like, oh my god, are we ready to <laughs> hold this? On to, like, can we, we hold, hold this, this space? space? And it's like, uh-huh. yes, this is where we're at. Yeah. We're ready to hold Maha. <laughs> yeah, and thank you I for leading the way. Like, thank you so much for modeling, like, like showing up yeah. in all that you are and taking up space. And you're modeling that for our generation of women. Well, um, I've been calling out that, um, Lucy. I've been calling on the younger women. Because yeah. a lot of us are not being seen by the younger women, exactly what you're saying. But what I've noticed is it's skipped a generation and it's the girls in their 20s and 30s who something's happened. Yeah, They've woken up and they're seeking me out. I'm getting more busy now with that age group than I have been for the last 20-odd years. Yeah. It's interesting. Something has occurred. Maybe it's because I am this age now, 61. Yeah. I'm in that league as well. I'm in that grandmother energy. So I'm not in the no man's, no woman's land. I'm kind of now in that place of the elder. Yeah. And I'm People are seeking that. healing as well. Like we, we mm-hmm. want where it's happening. I feel like it's like it's happening. Like things are, you almost can't avoid the, like the light's been sh- shone on the shadows now and you can't, like, you know, I spent majority of my life, well, I suppose living in the shadows. I was like, I live in the underworld it's fine. Like I'll just be here and I'm safe here because that's how I was raised and I can just stay in this yuckiness. But now like the light's coming in, you have to address things. And so people are seeking out um, how to move through that. And because it's big, big. we want to feel good. We want, we look at women like you and Jane and all the rest. We're like, I want that. Mm. I want that. There's, I want that strength. And you you actually know that that strength, that deep inner knowing that that strength is in you, but you need help finding it. But also you've got to walk the path. Yeah. You can't jump it. And that's what yeah. I'm seeing with a lot of the younger women mm. is that they're jumping into being an influencer or jumping into being the professional. No, you have to walk the humble steps and, mm. build, and build and build. And a lot of women say, oh, no, you don't have to. That's old-fashioned. In a way, wisdom is something like a wine that is in the cellar and it builds and it gets more potent as time goes on. And post-menopause is another whole area. And the other thing about post-menopause, it's meant to be activating the grandmother energy, as I said before. But what we also have is we have women in their 50s and 60s who are trying to resist that change and trying to stay young with creams and HRT. That's everybody's choice. That is everybody's choice. For me personally, I want to go through the fire. I want to go through the hot flushes. I want to burn off what I don't need. I want to come into the renewed part of me. I want to feel it. I don't want to suppress it. And it's tough. There's some very tough moments where I have to face the grief and I have to face my old self. But I'm meant to walk through that to come out the other side to show my strength and what you said before, Christy, to say, I don't give a F-U-C-K what anybody thinks. I don't have time for that anymore. I don't need to be loved and liked by the world. I just need to be able to speak my truth. I say that in postmenopause, my vagina has become my voice. It's no longer the sexualized, objectified woman. It's the powerful woman who speaks her truth without a care of what people think. You like me or you don't. That's not important to me. 
What is important to me is I stand in my self-referenced autonomy, being fearless and speaking what I believe needs to be spoken. Finally, for yeah. my children's children's children and everybody's children's children children and this world. Look at this world. What it's lacking is the grandmother energy. Yeah. You're not seeing enough older women standing up in their pure intention, in their purity, yeah. speaking their truth. They've got, you know, whether we're filtered or we, we've got taking something yeah. to change the trajectory of this truth voice, and I refuse to do that because I've done everything else naturally. Mm-hmm. So it's a continuum. I had three children, all born as nature intended, the last at 46, born at home, breastfed eight and a half years. I've done it all, how nature intended and gave to me for my story. And that's from where I share from that fountain of wisdom. That's what I'm passing on. And even like you having a baby at 46, um, I love that too because like that's considered obviously geriatric. I mean, I was even considered geriatric when I had my baby at 37 and so how like even with I wanted to ask about that like because we we're sort of told like you can't fall pregnant then really you're not even fertile anymore and you you know all the rest of it like how did you navigate that and did you plan that and yes I planned that I got pregnant at 45 and a half but I didn't care what the doctor said yeah like I'd already yeah, I'd already polycystic ovaries. You'll never get pregnant naturally. And I've had three natural pregnancies between, you know, 34 and 46. So it's a mindset too. Yeah. That's what we're trying. That's what we're saying here. It's yeah. when you attach yourself to the negative, that is the foundation from which you walk. If yeah. you attach yourself to a more positive attitude, that is the place from which you walk. And I always say, don't start at the bottom of the ladder. Start at the top of the ladder and keep going higher. Yeah. So this is your body, not the midwife's body, the doctor's body, the obstetrician. As I say, they're interesting resources to gather information, but that doesn't mean that that is all you are. That is just a part of the journey. And then the rest of it is what your own personal investigation leads you through, the doorways of your own consciousness and understanding. Because we've like been indoctrinated a bit and conditioned um, yes. with our mindset. Like, you know, you get to this age and this is how you are and this is how yes. you are. And it's like I think there's even in Japan it might be, I can't even remember. I mean, there's still like 80, nearly 90-year-olds like abalone diving and and all the rest of it. And it's like but we, uh, we it's almost like we like let ourselves deteriorate because that's what we're. The norm. That's yeah. right. That's right. Most people of 60 to 70 to 80 have got just a cabinet full of pills. Yeah. And that's how they live. They go, oh, well, you know, I've had my life. Now it's all downhill from here. And I refuse. Yeah. Absolutely refuse. You know, I I look at very closely at what I eat, what I think, what I do, what I see. You know, being in nature is important to me. Really keep nurturing. Actually, over 60, you've got to really nurture more. All this self-care that we see with all the young people, actually, you've got to apply that in older age, you know, or you will. You will lose your faculties. And for mm. me personally, I've had you know nearly 30 years of this vision and I've had a gift to the world, but I just keep on 
working with. So I feel like I've got a purpose here. Yeah. And I continue to grow my purpose. I mean, this year I'll be traveling to Taiwan, to Switzerland, to wow. Italy, China again. I came back from China at the end of November. I've done a lot of travel, obviously not when COVID happened, but I just find it amazing. I'm in another country teaching. I'm in another, and I, I love that mystery. What else is possible? And I say that in pregnancy, yeah. And But what else is possible? Not what's yeah. impossible. The system will tell you what's impossible. What I say as an independent voice for women and birth, and not just in birth, in our life, is what else is possible? What else is to be revealed to me? You know, yes, I'm 60. doesn't mean I'm at the end of the road. I'm just beginning a new chapter. A new mm -hmm. chapter has awakened and opened for me. I'm it's curious. So I'm just like yeah. biting my nails, like you yeah. say. We're so inspired. Thank you so much for having this conversation with us today. I mean, I feel like you've just given us a wealth of things to go away and ponder on and sit with. Um, yeah, it's just been such an honour to speak with you. Um, so for our listeners who are interested in your work and connecting with you, how can they find you? Sure. So my Instagram is at Embody Birth International. So you can find that. I actually had a Facebook page as well, but it got hacked. I had 19,000 followers and oh my goodness. unfortunately couldn't get it back. So my main page is Instagram, and I've just started a TikTok. I had another TikTok. Unfortunately, my daughter used a password and I lost <laughs> it. So I've, I I've reopened it. that. Just Yeah, I know. They're always using my phones and things. And, oh, well, Mum, just start another one. So I'm starting <laughs> um, Maha Birth Wisdom on TikTok. So mm. I'll be putting the Instagram um, videos onto that one. So I've got to platforms because the younger people are more on that platform yeah they are yeah so i'll relaunch that which i've already done but my main one is instagram at embody birth international and my website is mahaalmusa.com and i have my beautiful book dance of the womb as a hard copy or ebook i have a beautiful belly dance birth bundle which is my ebook and my all the belly dance birth dances and my home birth film at 46 is on that plus there's some other bonuses. But I've also got a beautiful birth, pregnancy and birth preparation online program. That's what I was going to ask. I, I yes. was going to ask you also about your mentoring. Is that the same thing? Yes. No, so that, that's just a pregnancy birth preparation program. But I'm doing an online embodied birth certification mentorship. So what that is is you get that um, pregnancy birth preparation program, which is four modules and 21 chapters. So the reason I created that is everybody was saying, we want all your words, Maha. We love how you see birth under one umbrella. Can you make something? Yeah. So it's videos and slideshows and different things of all the different ways that I look at birth, the different aspects of birth. But birth philosophy, birth psychology, birth physiology, and the birth practice, the belly dance birth, is in that birth preparation program, which is part of the training. And then... There's that, so that's part one of the training, and then part two of the training is all of the embodied birth video um, lectures that I did during COVID on Zoom, and we recorded it. So the two of those make up the online certification program, and then there's a part three, which is a very simple assessment with me. 
and then you get your certificate as an embodied birth educator teacher. I'm pretty so I'm, keen. <laughs> yeah, so I'm just about to do that. Um, we're starting on the 13th of March until the 5th of June over a 12-week period. So you'll receive that training and there'll be seven Zooms with me through that period. Um, so we will come on and discuss and talk about what you've watched in the training videos. And so we'll come together as a group and, um, you know, I want to hear your feedback and what came up for you, etc. So I'm going to mentor you through that. Normally it's just a self-paced training. But I've had a lot of people say, Maha, can you come on with us? So I've sort of done it. It's part self-paced and part Zooms with me, which is, feels really good. Totally. So it's going to be half price. It's US 997. Yeah, so I'm giving it as half price, pay full or pay in two instalments by the 1st of March. So I'm going to go on and have a I'm look so at that. I'm so tempted. Wow, that sounds um, incredible. Yes. So I can I can send you the, um, you know, the landing page. Yeah. Please. Yeah, so we're moving Share all of this. Yeah, yeah. So um, so we're taking bookings for that now. I think I've had about six or seven people. It's going to be limited, yep. maybe to 12 to 15 women. I want to keep it intimate. And that's from anywhere in the world, you know, we can do that. So um, I'm just in the process of at the end of the first week of February, I should have all the numbers and I'll know where everybody's from to work out the Zoom times. You know, yeah. so it's predominantly Australia or wherever. Yeah. Oh, yeah, because I always get um, confused with that. Yeah, yeah. Well, I so don't know because we're in Australia, but. Yeah, exactly. So anyway, that's why I'm booking that now. And then I'll be I'm doing an embodied birth um, two-day workshop on the Sunshine Coast in May. That's in person with me. That's not a training. It's just a two-day introduction. Um, and then I'll be going to Taiwan and then Europe and then back to China. And last year in China, in November, I went back after four years because of COVID. I've done so much work in China, and then COVID happened. But last year in November, I actually did a five-day sacred sexuality, feminine energy, feminine embodiment workshop for the first time yep. Yep. with lots of dance and discussion. I've, I've actually got, like, a question about that. Yeah. <laughs> because the sacred sexuality, that's what got me got me I mean I wouldn't have been able to have the birth that I had if I hadn't that's where I started my healing journey with sexuality because mm. I have um sexual trauma as well mm. so that was something because I I didn't I was you know exploring and and it obviously activated everything for me and um so I love that and I often dance a lot at home um do you, do you have any tips like because I like with I've noticed like with my dancing like I naturally move my hips and I naturally move my womb and I always have my friends have always been like god Christy why do you move like that but I have to like it's always like I've got it but got I'm, it. I'm still a bit stiff my partner's yeah. always like you're still a bit stiff you can't really and I'm like I know and I'm like I'm gonna ask my heart <laughs> Well, it's just, for me, it's the inner dance. It's discovering yeah. the inner dance. And it's the, I love that saying that says dance like nobody is judging. Judging. Oh, my Not gosh. Watching. Yes. Dance like any, exactly. And and the more you do that, the more you come into that self-reference movement. And that's what the belly dance birth is about. It's not about choreography or steps. 
yes, I'd show you different movements, but then those movements are modified and applied to birth. So you yeah. learn a dance, an actual movement, but then how do I use that in labour? That's mm. the key to that, as well as coming into the body and connecting with the baby and all those things. But really it's about autonomous dance, instinctive yeah. dance, intuitive dance, like ecstatic dance when you just go and you just listen to the music and you move and yeah. breathe and just allow whatever needs into that moment to come through you because that's what birth is about. Birth is not choreographed. That's why a lot of women get into trouble because they think, oh, it's going to go in a certain way. No, you have to be in every unfolding moment. Where does my body need to take me in this moment with my baby and my breath? Yeah, and we say in embodied birth, birth, there's rhythm in stillness and there's stillness in rhythm. You're always moving. Something is always moving. It's nuanced. Yeah, it's, it's, it's emotional. It's energetic. It's psychic. It's physical. It's everything. That's why I love watching my daughter dance because she doesn't. Doesn't I had her in like a dance school thing, and Mm. she said halfway through, she went, "Mum, I'm more of a free dancer. I can't. I don't do this." And so I had to pull her out. And I love watching. She inspires me because she's just so free. And Mm. I'm like, I used to be like that. Mm. I'm like reconnecting with that Mm. part of, and I find that to be honest, like when I dance, it brings up a lot of emotion for me. I yes. just even in the kitchen, I'm like, oh, what's this? Yes, <laughs> crying energy. Yeah, moving energy through the body, replenishing. Yeah. It's like a snake. You're shedding that skin and yeah. and replenishing and feeling. And more women need to feel, not think. Yeah, need more feeling. Mic drop. I think on that. That's just the. That's it, isn't yeah. it? We have to. I, get I just want to. Can I ask one, one, one more question? Yes. I swear I'll just shut up. <laughs> Um, with like your like with nature, because I'm a very like very nature based. Per- I'm I have to go to into nature. Um, it's even I I just have to I have to. It's just part of who I am to be replenished or everything. Like, do you like? I suppose like what I think of like eco feminism or something. Do you um, what are your thoughts on that? Like us being like as women being so deeply connected to nature and like the land and the great mother. And cause I feel, I, I sometimes feel a bit crazy cause I feel that inside of me and um have to even just go out and lay on the, gra- on the grass when I'm feeling overwhelmed and just, it's the only way that I can regulate really sometimes. And I sort of just wanted to know your. Thoughts. I'm the same darling. I'm the same. And I, I always say the nature is within us. How can we have natural birth if we're not connected to nature? I say go and stand under the tree and listen to the wind. Go and swim in the ocean and feel the waves cascade over you. You know, mm. put your face in the sun and feel the warmth of the sun. That lives in us as women in order to give birth. And I say every baby is born on country. Every womb is country. Yeah, that is our country. My baby is born in the country of my womb. So nature is very important to me. And I lived in Byron Bay for nearly 25 years, so I was near the ocean. Mm. And that's why that place is so powerful for birthing, an Aboriginal women's birthing place. You've got the ocean, you've got the mountains. You are surrounded by the feminine aspect of life. You can't escape that. And 
you know, I was in Kingscliff after that. I'm now in Brisbane the last six months and I'm finding it very difficult. In fact, every morning I walk across to the park across the road with my bare foot, barefooted. <laughs> and people are looking at me. I'm just sort of this hippie. I wear my hippie dress and I walk across just without any shoes for that reason, to feel the grass and the dew beneath my feet and to yeah. feel connected to the earth. So I agree. I think that all- makes me feel less crazy because I was no. like it as a child, but then I it got, you know, as we were talking about with society and everything, and I it made me feel like I felt fer- they were like, why are you so feral? Why are you so feral? And now that I'm step <laughs> like because I birthed my I we were living in the city and then I fell pregnant with my third and I said I need to go to the mountain. I said this to my pa. I ended up leaving him because he wouldn't come. And I said, the pull was so strong and I left. He obviously followed me because he loves me. <laughs> but I, I left because I needed to be um, on this land to birth. And I felt the call even, oh, it's just so refreshing to even be able to speak about it because I even remember being here for about, oh, I think I was about eight months and I went down to the waterfall and I sat there for such a long time because I can just, didn't go into dreamland when I'm in nature and I heard like the voice like like you're welcome here now like it was like I was welcome on makes me feel really emotional but it was like I'm crying so much lately by the way I think my period's coming as well (laughs) but um I remember like just you're welcome here now and it was just like Mm. oh like so we are so that's why I like to ask because I know I sense that and feel that and like to know if other people can feel that too. So the thing is, the key to that is you don't need to justify yourself. I know. You don't need to defend <laughs> yourself. You just need to feel and go yeah. with that. Nobody yeah. else needs to affirm that to you. Yeah. That's what you feel. You Follow that. You that. Yeah. Thank you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, thank you so much, Maha. Like, honestly, you've and my day's made. <laughs> Such a special way to start this year and, yeah, thank you so much for your precious time this morning. No problem. It's been lovely to talk to you ladies and I love it. I love the casual conversation approach. That's what I love. Yeah. Yeah. So I look forward to maybe, you know, working with you guys. Yes. Oh, yeah. This is is the beginning. We'll pop all of your details in our show notes and we'll share on our Instagram and, um, yeah, so everybody can connect in with you if they feel called. Lots of love. And as I say in Body Birth, mama stay. (laughs) Oh, I love (laughs) it.